looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends. Wow. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while Sincel Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Far thing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, lacycleaning at gmail.com. 
or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hi, this is Paige Joy. I am the creator and director of Fred Heads the Documentary, and I am also the co-host of Elm Street Radio, and you're listening to Crazy Train. We are super thrilled to have this lovely young lady on this episode of Crazy Train Radio. She is completely a fredhead and many other things when it comes to being a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. She is currently directing a documentary called Fredheads. She also is a co-host on Elm Street Radio and several other things. So, Miss Paige Joy, how are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Now, I know or you have some company until tomorrow. One of your uh, co-directors. So, is she joining us today or is it just you solo? So, she is like letting me fly solo on it. She's currently working on a huge proposal right now at work. So, she's like, I'm going to sit and just listen to you guys. So, I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, fun. Fun. Well, hopefully the proposal goes well. Uh, <laughs> would this be nightmare related as most of your projects? No, she, um, so we, we both have jobs that pay the bills. So that's, so she's working on something for her company. I feel like the nightmare stuff like doesn't pay our bills yet. Once that does, then we'll, then we'll quit our day jobs. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, you got those damn gimmicks I send in the mail every month called bills, you know? Uh, yes, exactly. Well, I guess first and foremost, I'll touch on this one. Fred Heads, what is the status of that documentary and what can you say about it? So Fred Heads, the status right now is we're about 60 to 65% edited. Um, it's been an amazing journey, I would say, for like the past three years. We started in the basement of our friend Jeremy's house, and it really was just this germ of an idea. We wanted to feature some people we knew in the horror community and people that we knew in the nightmare community because we knew they had really good stories to tell. And we just thought the world needs to see it. And then we started filming and we had no plan, no clue, no nothing. And after we started filming, we realized we need this to be bigger, to be broader. So we spent um, about three years filming, really collecting people's stories, really traveling the country and filming people's experiences. And then now just for the past six months, we've been, we've been editing. And last night we were editing the documentary until about two in the morning and we're just super excited for what we're putting on film. Every time we unlock a new piece of the, the timeline or the narration, we just get so much more excited because it just shows that the community itself is amazing and we just can't wait to share this with everybody. Seems a little creepy and deja vu-ish that it started in a guy's basement, but <laughs> we won't go there. You are all my children now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Luckily, um, my co-director and co-producer, Kim Gunzinger, it was her best friend, her best guy friend, and it's my soon-to-be husband's best guy friend. So it's, yeah, so luckily we knew we were safe, even though we were surrounded by serial killer props and all sorts of stuff in his basement that you guys will get to see when the documentary comes out. This bitch. Well, do you have a timetable of when this might be released or is it still by the seat of your pants there? Uh, so it was October 2019. <laughs> that was our timetable. And now here it is, the summer of 2020. So we decided that um, we're not going to put a timestamp on anything. We want to just let it work itself out and we don't want to rush anything. So, and then of course, COVID hit. So once COVID hit, it kind of put like a stress around a lot of things. We had certain interviews lined up at the beginning of this year that we were supposed to do. And so now we're trying to figure out how to grab those interviews with still being able to do social distancing, but maintain the integrity of the documentary. And so realistically, we would like it out by Halloween this year. And I think... I'm pretty sure we can get it get it there because we're we're almost done on our end. So all we have to do is send it off to get scored and color corrected and all of that fun stuff. And that takes no time. So we're hoping by Halloween this year. Well, that's definitely a good goal. But you said you traveled a lot over the past couple of years to do this documentary. Mm-hmm. Where has been your favorite spot to visit? I know it's tough. It's like, well, I really enjoy this convention. I like this one, or I like, you know what I mean? The different elements because of the different people. But do you have one that really stands out? That's like making me choose a favorite child. Like, that's so hard. But there are two that really stand out, two filming things. The The first thing is California. We, some of us flew out to California for kind of a vacation, but also to film some stuff for our documentary. And you'll see the California trip closer to, to the end of the documentary, but we got to actually go see the Nightmare on Elm Street house. And so I can't talk much about that moment. Uh, literally, my co-director is sitting here right now screaming at me, shutting up. Um, so I can't talk much about that moment, but it probably was one of the most surreal things for me to be there. But then the other thing, the actual conventions, uh, we went to Texas Frightmare. And, you know, I think it's safe that I can talk about this part of it, but um, before Texas Frightmare, we kind of were struggling a little bit in what we wanted to put in the documentary, and, and we wanted to make sure that we were doing the community justice, and we just felt like we didn't have the right pieces for certain things, and then a, a person reached out to us and let us know that they were going to be at Texas Frightmare. And we loved their story. We loved what we were doing. And we just asked them, you know, hey, can we come follow you? You know, we'll, we'll pay for some things for you, you know, and like, thank you. And he's like, absolutely. And so we got to Texas Frightmare and it was the most fun we have ever had at a convention. It was super crowded. It was nothing but fun people. Nobody was like, even though it was crowded, nobody was aggravated with each other. We followed several fans that weekend. So we were like nonstop working, but we just had so much fun with them. We were exhausted by the end of the day and we'd sit in the hotel room just laughing at the fun that we had and 
just to think that we got to share that experience with our best friends, because that's, that's part of the documentary is that our whole team is just extremely close and we have been for years. And so doing that in Texas, Texas is what we say saved our documentary. Well, I've heard of that particular show and it's usually a good one. I haven't been out there yet, but it's, oh, you uh, have to go. It's so much fun. It's we we definitely wanted to go back just as like partakers, like not not like working the convention. But they're all they're all so amazing. Like even Lloyd, who runs um, Texas Frightmare, when we reached out to him to say, "Hey, this is what we want to do," because we always like to get the cons permission before we jump on the floor and start filming. Because a lot of times we want to feature them in the documentary and show like this is the culture that you've built because you've created this convention. You've created this space for all of us to come together around the country. Like we want to thank you by featuring you in the documentary. And so we reached out to Lloyd who runs Texas Frightmare and I have never had an experience with a nicer con promoter. He just was so whatever you guys need, we're we're excited, come to our convention. And and I just think that if you're gonna go to any convention, you should definitely go to Texas Frightmare. Yeah, because I was gonna say most of the time, but I heard otherwise with Texas that sometimes you can run into folks that might not have the proper hygiene <laughs> when you're down with these uh, shows. <laughs> That's every convention. <laughs> yeah, but what I was going to go with, since you said it there, was I actually had an issue early on in show history where I was invited to a convention, and so I made a 1,500-mile trek, and yet when I show up, it's like, oh, sorry, not welcome. Well, you could have oh told me goodness. before. Oh, yeah, before I rented a car and, you know, just everything with it. Oh, my but, goodness. Uh, but it, here and there, you know, can't get a straight answer from them ever since. Hey, just to say, you know, let's move on. But, oh, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, some conventions, I feel like um, we we were at one convention particularly, and we really can't go into full detail on it until after our documentary comes out. But there was one convention where we set up an appearance at and we um, had a contract through email, but nothing was signed. And that was where we learned our lesson. We didn't sign the contract through email. We just thought the communication between the two would be really good. And, And this was very early on in our documentary. So we didn't really fully know logistics of things. We were just you know, a group of four girls and some cameras. And so we thought, this is how you make a documentary. <laughs> but we we go to the convention with the plans to film certain things and we show up and for some reason the convention decided to flip on us. And we have our we have our feelings as to why. Um we later found out that they were making their own documentary that never got released. And so they were mad that we are friends with a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street stars. And so the Nightmare stars would see us and would be like, well, why aren't you filming us right now? Or, you know, all of these questions that they would ask us, they, they kicked us out of the convention. And we were so upset. We were like, we are here to feature you guys in our documentary and, and feature the fandom. And we have agreements through emails and, 
but they they actually physically put their hands on a couple of members of our team. Ruh-roh. And so we so we will not be featuring them in our documentary at all. Uh, I sent um, you a message through this uh, Zoom chat. You don't have to say publicly who I said, but oh, okay. it be by chance who I think I it is. Know. How do I check it? How do I do I click more oh, chat? Okay, let me see. No, surprisingly, that convention is actually really, really good to us. Okay, yeah, that's the one I had it. Oh my! With, well, that that hurts my heart. That that that's the convention that did that because they've been nothing but great to us. Um, that's and the thing the, I've heard it's everybody else. I'm whatever it's. It's, you know, at convention politics, I've learned over the past couple of years, um, you, we were friends with some promoters and stuff, and we're, we're personal friends with some people who run conventions. And to me, the thing I've learned is that you have to be able to set aside your friendships from the business side of it, because, yeah. you know, we showed up to a couple conventions that our friends who run them asked us to be at, and we show up, and then it's very, like, business it's run very business and we're like oh okay we need to step back and so i've just learned that with promoters and conventions and stuff it's really there's that fine line yeah it's a fine line and i feel like i feel like everyone has like a different experience and i'm just incredibly thankful that for the most part we've had a really good experience with filming them but i hate hearing that that convention's the one that turned you away that like breaks my heart because uh, we've we've had we've filmed there multiple times and we've had nothing but an amazing experience with them. Yeah, because you know, it, like you said, we've built relationships with not only from this series but others, and we've done the legwork. It's not right. Ask not asking them to set everything up for us because, like you said, it is a business. Right. But you know, move on. We're moving on here. Don't fall asleep. The untold. Nancy Thompson's story. What can you tell me about that? Because you uh, had your hands all over that as well. So that um, is my was my love letter to the Nancy Thompson fans, and that started from um, 2015. We went to the the Horror Hound Indie Show in 2015, where it had the largest in Nightmare on Elm Street reunion, and. Um, our friend Nathan Thomas Milliner was premiering his film, The Confessions of Fred Krueger, there. Okay. And up until that point, I had never seen a fan film before. I didn't even really know they exist. And so we sat in the audience and I watched it and watched how amazing it was on screen and how well produced it was. And I was like, wait, like we, we could do this? Like fans can do this? And so I looked and turned to my friends and I said, um, I was like, we need to be doing this. We need to tell Nancy's story because nobody out there is telling her story. And if anybody's going to do it, we're going we're gonna to be the ones to do it. Because um, for a long time, several of us were on what we call Team Nancy and where we were trying to get like the message of Nancy Thompson out there and we're all really close with Heather Lagenkamp. And so it just felt like if anybody's going to do it, we would be the ones who, who would do it. Right and, I, and, I, and I said it to my friends and halfway joking and we get home 
and um, I sent them an email of like the first draft of an opening scene and they were like, oh, you're serious. And I was like, no, I'm 100% serious. Like we know this character more than anybody. Like let's tell this story. And so um, it, was my sh- it was myself and DeAndre Laser and Michelle Hansen who wrote the project. And we like, round robined it for, I would say, probably like a couple months, the script, trying to lock everything in and get everything in. And then we pulled in our good friend, Kim Gunzinger, who is my co-producer and co-director of Fred Heads Now. We pulled her in on the project. And once the four of us got together, it just was like this magic that we created. And then of course we have Heather who's narrating the film. (laughs) And so it just, it was an amazing project. It was our first time actually doing a film and the sets were crazy. We filmed on a 25,000 square foot soundstage in Columbus, Ohio. We tried to tie in a lot of things to uh, the original and tried to bridge the gap to part three. And when we released it, a lot of people really just loved it and connected to it. And that made me feel so good because even if five people would have watched it, I would have been happy if, if it was just five people. But we were telling that story. What? Just the chance of telling that story. Exactly. Just the chance to like tell the story. Just the chance to, to I want to say, do it justice. Because you feel like, if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, you see part one and the symbolism in it is so amazing and so strong and it ends. And then part two happens. And I happen to love part two. Part two is actually one of my favorite films. And then part three happens but then you see Nancy is so much older and you don't really understand why. You don't understand why her dad's a security guard now. You don't understand why she's a grad school superstar. So we wanted to fill in that gap and really just do the story justice. And we did it and it's probably my favorite thing that we have ever done. And I, watching like people, you know, every, every day someone reaches out to me, oh my God, I just saw Don't Fall Asleep. I can't believe you got Heather to narrate or, or the beautiful dream scene at the end. You know, I always felt like that's what Nancy should be in. And just to really connect with the fans, you know, for us, it was so important to do that. It was a, it was a love letter to the Nancy fans and really like a homage to Wes because I look up to Wes so much and knowing that I got to make the fans feel better and make them feel happy. Like just makes me feel really good. And I don't know. I just, I feel like I could talk about that movie forever. I just, I love don't fall asleep. Uh, no, I'm not, but you brought it up there. And I'd be curious to know, cause there's a lot of debate on it. And I actually just recently spoke to Jack shoulder. So mm-hmm. it's funny. You bring up uh, part two. Why right. is that uh, your favorite? So uh, to me, part two is one of my favorites because I think part two is actually the scariest out of all the films. I think when you delve into the, the mythology of Freddy in part three, it still gets kind of like creepy, but in part two, there are some really jarring images of, of Freddy. He's burning the body parts in the basement 
The music is really like heightened because it's the only one in the series that doesn't use the Charles Bernstein score. And so there's the music is like very jarring and takes you out of the moment. And, you know, those scenes with Robert as Freddie just are really, they're just really creepy. The, the boiler room scene for me freaks me out when they're like walking through and he's telling the story of Freddie and they're nervous to open up the cabinet because they might see a dead body. It's really, to me, just an anxiety-driven film and typically those are the scariest to me. And in the end, I mean, everyone talks about how it's the only one who has a boy scream queen, but in the end, you know, Lisa, Jesse's girlfriend, she still is the, the heroine in the end because she's the one who still saves him, so. I just really enjoy the movie and Mark Patton has just been really good to us and he's been really good to me throughout the years and and his documentary just came out too, which makes me love Nightmare on Elm Street 2 even more. <laughs> and so I just, it's one of my favorites of, of the series and I know it gets hate and I know it gets flack, but over the past couple of years, I feel like the fans have really like rallied around it. Totally get that and have gotten that vibe and seen that vibe. I've been a lifelong fan. I'm 35 and started watching when I was three. So tells you what kind of, what tells you what kind of fucked up life I may or may not have had. Now now I want to know where you heard these horrific obscenities. Hey, I'm in the same boat. I'm 35 and I started watching them at four. So (laughs) So, I'll put it to you this way. The best line I ever heard was for part four. And I don't know why it stands out, but I was a little kid at the time watching with uh, my neighbor in my house and all. And there was a early on during the, was it the junkyard scene when he first comes mm-hmm. back that freaked me out. Even, But I went back and watched the movie and all still. And uh, my old man said, hey, if it freaks you out, why are you watching it? Yeah, trying to be the most logical. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it was the most logical question. Well, if it's that bad, don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to reason with a four-year-old at the time, go figure. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to go back and watch. But uh, <laughs> first got familiar with your lovely vocals from Elm Street Radio. So uh-huh. what can you say about this project? <clears throat> so Elm Street Radio, I love Elm Street Radio. Um, one of my best friends, DeAndre Laser, and I co-host the show together. And she approached me probably about five months before we launched it. And I think we're going on three years now. But she approached me about five months before we launched. And she said, I really want to do a podcast. I really want to do a podcast with you. I'm not sure what subject matter we should talk about. There were a couple different things that her and some other girls were potentially working on, um, potentially starting a website for horror fans. Am I on the internet? You know, just kind of throwing some things to the wall just to kind of see what would stick. And she said, you know, I really want to start in a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast. She goes, I feel like it would be really good to tie into our project because she's also a producer on Fred Heads. And she said, I feel like it'd be really good to tie into our project. And her and I are have extensive knowledge on the Nightmare Universe. We've built really great relationships with people as well. And she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start it. Would you want to join it with me? And I said, Absolutely, like of course. And so she started it and 
it just kind of took off and we have had so much fun doing it and we're constantly evolving it to different different things now we're doing fan films so now we're reviewing fan films on film which is good because before we were just audio so now we're doing some visual stuff as well but it's basically it's just a podcast that delves into the a nightmare on elm street fandom and we've done things like dissecting scripts and reading old scripts that never got produced or we've done interviews with people we had jack shoulder on our show too we've 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 done a lot with it and it's just a fun escape. And I think anytime you're just talking with your close friends, things just naturally come out. And I feel like that's what people relate to and hear on Elm Street Radio is that it's like they're listening in on a conversation with us. And when we had like people like Amanda Wiss on our show and stuff, we know them so well that we tend to go off topic of Elm Street where we just talk about other things. And I think that's why people like it is because it's like they're secretly listening into a phone call. And again, we also just respect the community so much that we just want to honor the community that kind of helped raise us. Exactly. And (coughs) I've had the same thing with like Amanda and Lisa Wilcox, and soon when she's feeling better, uh, Toy New- Newkirk, you know, different mm-hmm. folks from the community on the professional side. And it's like, in certain aspects, it's like you said, you, you feel like you're listening on a phone call other than Elm Street. Right. And that's just their vibe you get from all these folks. So... They're all such amazing women and they have been so good to us because they're the thing about our, our, our documentary and in our group is we have a lot of like men and a lot of women in it, but in our documentary, it kind of just happened and we didn't, we didn't realize it was this way and that it shifted toward this, this way. But our documentary is being run by four powerhouse women and the women of Elm Street have kind of, I, I don't want to say inspired that, but they've inspired us so much because they're powerhouse women and the advice that they have given us over the years to really just keep moving and going forward and, and standing our ground. You know, Heather told us a quote when we did Don't Fall Asleep. She said, you know, do no harm, but take no shit. She's like, don't, don't take shit from anybody. She's like, stand up for yourself and stand your ground. And, and I've held on to that for five years. And in my head is don't, don't take shit from anybody. And so the the women are just so, they're just so good. And I can't wait for you to have Toy out. And I can't wait for you to have a conversation with her because Toy is just one of the, the funniest, most badass people you will ever hear. It seems like it. The few, you know, we, like I said, have, we had to postpone due to not feeling great, but, you know, just a little bit interacted with her. You know, you could just the non Elm Street stuff she talks about because she tries to be an advocate for different topics. She's so powerful. She's such an advocate and she's got such a history in Hollywood. I didn't know, um, I'm sure she'll talk about some of this with you too, but I didn't know like her dad, I didn't know her dad had such a huge history in Hollywood and on sets and stuff until she did the interview with DeAndra and Ashley Blackwell. And I was just blown away by her extensive knowledge on a lot of things. And 
I just was like, there's a reason why I look up to this woman. <laughs> yeah. She just seems like a complete badass when you, when you need, when push comes to the show. Mm-hmm. She is. She's a total yeah. badass. Well, Heather seems like that too. And she's known now for doing a lot of stuff with uh, special effects with her husband. Mm-hmm. And hoping I could talk to one or both of them someday. But that would we'll, be really cool. Uh, yeah, that's one of the few bucket lists, I guess, that we're looking <laughs> to do, at least when it comes to this series. But don't want to hold you up all day, but before I let you go, I got to ask, because I just finally was able to get a copy of it and watched it this weekend, was, even though I've seen clippets online and whatnot, the four-hour Never Sleep Again documentary. Yes. Yeah. So good, and the extras were good, and just everything with it lived up to the expectations. What were your thoughts on it? Um, I loved it. So our friend Tommy Hudson and Mike Perez and Lito Velasco and um, they're kind of the producing team behind it, along with Dar- uh, Daniel Farrens and some other people. They they were the producing team behind it, and when they launched it, the announcement for it. Honestly, like I was always into Elm Street. I was always into all of these other different things in the horror aspect, but I never knew about like documentaries. I never knew about like fan films. I never knew that these things were were big outside of the films itself and going to the conventions. Like I didn't really know the world, the, the horror world when it came to those things. And so when they announced the documentary, I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be cool. And then I got it. And I remember sitting in my room and I just like turned off my phone. I turned off everything. And I just sat there for like four hours and just watched every single thing. And um, it, it's honestly, to me, it's the best. Well, it was the best documentary for me. So it was, it was my number one documentary for many, 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 many years. Um, and it's still, it's number two for me, but it is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. They go in such detail on everything and the graphics. And I just, it's, to me, that's the goal. When you look at a documentary, that's what you should set as the bar for a goal. Yeah. And it seems like they put $5 million into that project. (laughs) I guess exactly, but they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> which that's, which is great. Like that's also the thing too, is because we're friends, we've gotten to learn a lot of the behind the scenes things, and we've gotten to ask for a lot of advice, you know, on on what to do and stuff. And you'd be surprised to learn like how much money it does take to do a documentary, but also like how many people are willing to do things as favors and, and say, of course, I want to help you. Let's do this. Let's do that. And so their, their documentary is the gold standard. Definitely. Uh, well, I'll send you an image because as I'm sitting here in the office chatting with you and then I'll let you go in a second, but I'll send you a picture of it because on my shelf is a original lunchbox. Oh. the first one yes you have to send I me have, that picture yeah and it's signed by both heather and robert that got it two different conventions oh that's so awesome what was your so, experience like meeting them both were just wonderful people to do you know what i mean and we mm. all know robert and we've actually had robert on here as well a couple of years ago when he the last showing came out 
and Robert, you know, can just talk and talk and talk, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> makes for entertaining to sit back and listen. But I sent my anyway, this lunchbox sits on the shelf, and I have a three year old niece now, and she um. came in and saw, and you know, obviously, it's kind of like the poster, you know, the image on the lunchbox, and she says to me, is that a bad man? <laughs> of course, no, not, yeah, I try to downplay for a three-year-old, same thing, kind of what the old man did to me, you know, go figure, all the, fast forward all these years later, it's like, no, he's fine, And but the kicker was, she goes, can I give him a taffy? <laughs> So, I love that. You're like spreading it to like the next generation. Like that's oh, yeah. so cute. I love and it. And I, I was already yelled at by her mother saying, <laughs> do not, you cannot corrupt her to watch. Cause I used to corrupt my sister to watch. <laughs> she goes, she's like, you are not corrupting him. I said, I tell when she's a little older. Yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> I love that. I made not- my sister and my nephew. I have a nine-year-old nephew. I made them sign a contract that he was not allowed to see a Nightmare on Elm Street unless I was there to experience it with him. Yeah. So where can people find, we will share links, but is there any particular link that you want me to, or do you want to say here to sure. check out the projects? Obviously sure. I'll so- include everything you sent me. Well, thank you. Different versions, but is there something that you really want people to say? Yeah, so definitely um, you can check us out. We're on all social media platforms. So we're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, um, and we're at Fred Headstock. That probably would be the the best thing to do to get in touch with the project is if you reach out to us on Twitter. I, me, along with Crystal Van Etten, run our Twitter. And so that goes right to my phone. Um, so if you ever, people ever want to contact me, they just got to go to the Twitter for Fred Heads. But then also Elm Street Radio, which is at Elm Street Radio. And then my personal Twitter, if anybody wants to be my friend, is the underscore page underscore life. And that is where I'm at all the time. That's where I connect with people all the time. It goes straight to my phone. I'm not really on Facebook a whole lot. Um, but I really just enjoy Twitter because it's real time and you get to interact with people and have great conversations and things are always evolving and moving and stuff. So if anybody wants to be my friend, come be my friend. Just no creepers. No creepers. And I, I, I get some creepers, but, but no, no creepers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, make sure, like we joked about earlier with the conventions, uh, make sure if you're going to come over and be your friend, good hygiene, folks. <laughs> yes, please. Please. Good yeah, hygiene no. Wash your hands. <laughs> yes, with everything and and everything else. Stop hashtag stop the nightmare. Hashtag stop the nightmare. Yes. Might as well throw that in there since you said wash your hands. So, <laughs> Paige, thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been a blast. This has been so much fun. We'll have to get you on Elm Street Radio sometime. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith 
The industry leader in protective technology is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from Wee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hi, this is Amanda Wist, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 